Digital Officer Bob Howland has changed 27 enterprises. A true e-commerce veteran, he helps companies transform before they get disrupted. We asked Bob to join us on the show to talk about his latest project, Dawn Foods. If you're wondering what Dawn Foods does, here's what Bob has to say. If you've ever eaten a donut, you've experienced Dawn Foods. The company has been around for a hundred years, starting as a small bakery in 1920. Today, it's a 4,000 people enterprise selling baking ingredients in 110 countries. In 2019, they asked themselves, what do we need to do to stay in business for the next 100 years? They decided it was time to enter e-commerce. That's right. Before 2019, the only way a baker could order from Dawn was to give their order to a salesperson who came to their shop and physically took their order on a piece of paper. They knew it was time to change. That's when they hired Bob. In this episode, Bob shares one of the most important secrets of executive buy-in for transformation. How to have hard conversations with your executives especially with your CFO. You're listening to People Changing Enterprises, the show for status quo busters inside enterprises who are ready to make change happen. I'm your host, Jasmine Goodman, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Bob Howland. Let's talk about having difficult conversations with board members and executives, and in particular, the most popular of them all, the CFO. <laughs> yeah. While at Dawn Foods, the executive support for digital transformation was there from the beginning. In many ways, a lot of the success you had came from maintaining that executive support throughout the project, right? Yeah. So you must have had a lot of very difficult conversations, and the ones about money were probably especially significant. We'd like to play a clip from our customer conference, Contacom, where you described a potentially sticky situation with your CFO. In week one, I laid to bear my 90-day plan. I laid out my ask of the board for a lot more money. We were halfway through the conversation when I stopped and I looked up at him and I said, I want to level with you. We're never going to agree. We're never going to agree. You think there's going to be a return on investment for this and the way that we look at this as a company, there's never going to be an ROI. So we just have to cross that bridge right here right now and you know, agree to disagree. The conversation we had subsequently was probably one of the best conversations I've had in my three years at Dawn Foods. We didn't agree, but we reached an understanding and we continue to have that debate today. Tell us how you navigated that situation with your CFO at the moment in time. Yeah, so the CFO interviewed me and, and he was one of the people I was most excited to go join the business and work with. I also really wanted to understand very early in the game, where do we stand? Like, how are we going to think about this from an accounting perspective, an investment perspective, a financial perspective? And as I peeled the onion during the interview process in my first week on the job, it was pretty clear that we were not going to look at this the way that market looks at investments in digital and technology, right? You know, I think about this as growing revenue, cutting costs and improving the customer experience. And there are 
15 to 20 metrics I could give you underneath those three that really should be on the table. And it was pretty clear to me week one that that wasn't going to be the case. And so I really needed to think about, do I want to have just a, you know, kind of like Chinese water torture? Do I need to have this environment where this is always going to be a rub? This is always going to be a limiter for how we think about this aspiration and journey. And I knew that the answer to that with my entire being was no. That's the worst way to go about this. You know, sweep it under the rug. And when it comes up, it blows up. Everybody has to go to their corners. That's not how I want to operate. That wasn't the culture of my business. And, you know, because I've done this so many times, I had a sense of courage to just go for it. And so that first week, I really prioritized having my, one of my first one-on-ones with the CFO. And then that we had that conversation that you saw in the clip. And, you know, part of the statement was, I'm all in if we can put the right metrics to this. But if we can't put the right me- metrics to this, then I really never want to have a conversation about return on investment. And that made a mark. Importantly, one of the other things I did was ask him, who his most trusted colleague was, who on his team did he trust the most? And then I asked him if that person could be my financial representative. So I got the person, the board, the CEO, the CFO respect most, who couldn't have been more anti-e-commerce and digital. Fast forward two months, beyond me, he was the biggest evangelist and advocate for what we were doing. He saw all the industry data. He saw how we were being so fiscally responsible with the decisions we were making. He saw that this wasn't a money grab. He saw that we were looking to take cost and waste out of the business. He saw all the things that, you know, it took others months, if not years to see. He saw it up front because I gave him carte blanche access to everything. And the combination of my CFO's, you know, number one lieutenant and me now became pretty compelling. And that was one of the one of the smartest things I had done. I hadn't really tried that in my career before, but I really needed to have an advocate in the finance team. And so I found that person and we made him an absolute stellar e-commerce guru and evangelist. Brilliant. You really turned him into an advocate. By making him part of the team, really, right? You gave him access to everything, and and he, it's not you telling him all the great things. It's again, it's enabling him to come in and figure it out for himself. In my first year, any data point, any number, any dollar amount that appeared in any deck I delivered to any human being in the world, that dollar, that figure, that whatever came from finance. And I made that very clear from the start. You're never going to see a number from me. Every number that the company sees is already going to be vetted and endorsed and approved by the finance team. And that also gave a level of credibility to all of this and just rational, logical business acumen applied really helped people, you know, see this. Hey, this was produced by finance, right? You know, question all you want, question him, not me. Right. And he, and. At the same time, you turn the them, your colleagues, the other departments into allies. It's not you versus them. It's all of a sudden you're working on things together and they are the point people. 
they were being asked the questions because they were involved and they were happy to. I'm just making an educated guess, right? The reality is this is the most exciting thing in the business for decades. And, you know, it really is. And to have people understand it on, on their own terms and be able to share it and talk about it, it's super exciting. Everybody wants to be part of success, right? Everybody wants to be mm. part of the future of something once it's safe for them to do so. And so that kind of just, I came to a business that almost every business I've been in has a fear of taking an action. And, you know, I might be the chief, move the dots closer together, but I'm the chief, you know, get blank done and or chief take an action person too. Because I think, you know, you can take a bunch of small actions and they really get you to where you're trying to go much faster than trying to get the perfect action. I don't think there is a perfect action, honestly. And if there is, we don't know until we've tried it. We don't know. Yeah. You've said before that your advice is to be the bringer of bad news every once in a while when it's necessary, including an MVP that everybody looked at and went, oh, gosh, is it, it is really even worse than we expected. So when you do have to bring that type of bad news, how do you prepare for those difficult conversations? Timing, data, preparedness, let us in on, on how you walk into a meeting that you know is, at least in the beginning, not going to be fun. Yeah, if, if I have something that, if you know, there's something that's not being delivered or if we found something broken, you know, whatever, I've, I've learned that the first thing to do is just tell people, mm -hmm. right? Tell the people that should know right away. And in telling people, there's always the, what's the action and who should take it? And so in some cases, I have an opinion on that. In some cases, I don't really know. And so, you know, again, whether it's to my CEO or to my team or to my peers, the first thing I try to do is always to share quickly. And I generally try to do it, even in the COVID world where we're virtual, I try to do it over the phone if I can't do it in person. I come with, I own this, and I'm going to figure out, you know, where it's going to go and how it's going to get resolved. I may not be the person that resolves it, but I'm, I'm not going to let go of it until I know it's in good hands and we all agree that that person or that team has an understanding of what it is and the authority or the ownership to go do it. So I, th I think the speed is, is so, so important. You know, you also mentioned, you know, the data and how do I prepare? You know, of course I want to bring data and context to anything and I may not have that up front, but I usually pretty quickly do. You know, one of the things we're blessed with, with e-commerce is I've got more data than I know what to do with. And so, you know, I, I often, you can see things arising before they happen or before they really come to fruition, mm -hmm. both on the good side and the bad side, right? And so that helps me in a way that some people in the company will never have because they're not in a data rich environment. So I, you know, I do try to be, you know, credible and transparent and all those things. But at the end of the day, I think it, it comes down to human nature. I wouldn't want to be blindsided. I wouldn't want to you know, be surprised by something that somebody knew for a week or a month. And it's just that, that respect. And it's, while I'll say it's important with my team and my boss, it's a thousand times more important with my peers, right? I never want one of my peers to look bad. I don't want to play a game of control or power or anything like that. You know, th this is literally something I need everybody on board I need everybody on board long-term. And so if I can do anything to not have short-term bumps or hurdles in that relationship, I am all in. And then that 
becomes a, a positive perpetual cycle, right? You're in it together. You're up against this enemy over here, whatever that may be, right. a monolithic system, you know, a competitor, a market trend, whatever it is. But here's us against that and not me against you. And I think that's where so much of the incredible energy comes from that we see with your teams at Donkwood and the incredible transformation that you've done. One final question. Is there any other advice that you have for someone who wants to have or needs to have a hard conversation with their CFO or any other executive, really? There has been a lot of talk about what's your, you know, when we ask people what their biggest challenge is, they say, oh, the board just doesn't get it, which is maybe a little too simple, simplistic. But what people are trying to say is, well, the board doesn't understand the tech side of it. The board doesn't understand. And I'd love your take on that. And I think, you know, if I get that feedback, then my first reaction is I haven't done my job. You know, if the board doesn't give it and they're not bought in, then I haven't done a good enough job educating the board or bringing them on the journey. Right. So when I walked into the business back in 2019, no conversations had ever been had with the board about this topic. Right. And I knew in the first board meeting, I had an ask. I had a big ask. And I knew that if I walked into that board meeting, having never met them, and that was the first time I talked to them as human beings, I was not going to be successful. And so I went to my CEO, I went to my CFO and said, I want to work up the business plan. I want to meet with each board member individually before the board meeting. And I want to have the conversation of what do you know about this? Here's where I'm going. Here's my recommendation. A lot of courage to do that individually at a time. Here's the recommendation. What questions do you have? How's your thinking about this, et cetera, et cetera. We had great conversations. It was a lot of my time to have all of those individual meetings. But, you know, the punchline is when I got to the board meeting, they'd already made the decision. They were all already in, right? And so here I took something that would have been probably uncomfortable for them, probably uncomfortable for the group, hard to have this kind of a conversation where individual board members are having to expose their literacy on the topic. That's putting people in a position to lose. And so, you know, my first thought in these kind of conversations with difficult conversations or, or resistance is, you know, how do you overcome it on their terms? You know, put yourself in their shoes. Are we moving as fast as I want to move at Dawn Foods? No. <laughs> right? Could we move faster? I would hope so. But if we move faster, then I'd be a bull in the china shop. Then it would be about me. Then it would be, I would get much more resistance because we hadn't gotten people comfortable along the way. And in some cases, I've had to give peers that I think are blockers, I had to give them months. Right? I've had to literally let them see the world that I just presented to them for themselves and have them come back mm. and say, you know, the way I was thinking about it may not be the only way. I'm not sure I agree with you yet, but I have seen evidence of some of the things you talked about. I think I'm ready for another conversation here because I'm in a different place now. I had to wait for that to happen. And every day I wanted to call that person and say, are you ready? But I knew I couldn't. But I had to wait. And in the end, again, these are long-term relationships. These are long-term business objectives. In the end, did it slow us down? Not really, because 
it slowed us down for those few months, but we ran a lot faster after that because he and I were connected. I'll say something that I really don't want to go back to my company, but sometimes you have to care less. And I care, you probably understand from this conversation, I care a lot. I have a deep passion for not only what I'm doing, but the betterment it will have on my company and my customer. And when something gets in my way, I take it to heart. And so I've learned for you know, doing this for decades that sometimes for me personally, the best thing to do is just to step away from it, care less, and give whatever needs to be given, give it the time or whatever, the space to let it kind of organically get to where it needs to get to. And nine times out of 10, that happens. And nine times out of 10, it was the right thing for me to do because I was only making it worse. And if that isn't the most beautiful closing statement that I could have asked for, then I don't know what would be. If you're listening, take everything you've heard to heart, but especially that sometimes all you need to do is create space and let things evolve. Thanks for listening to People Changing Enterprises. We'll be back next week with a new episode helping you make your mark 